Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. Let's talk about uh, the China economy, though. Tao Wang joins us, head of Asia Economics and chief China economist at UBS Investment Bank to discuss China's economic growth and outlook. We have had Nomura already this morning cutting their forecast for 2023 and 2022, but we're almost at the end of that year. Uh, how do you see Tao Wang, I guess, the ongoing concerns about COVID, particularly when you look at these protests at the Foxconn plant hampering growth? Hi, yes. Um, good morning, good evening. Uh, so on China, we have already earlier, I think when we saw um, the high frequency data from out of October being very weak, we already expected the fourth quarter and first quarter next year um, to have a weaker growth momentum compared to the third quarter. So our growth outlook is around 3% growth for this year and 4.5% for 2023. Um, although I think the uh, the COVID restrictions has been tied, I think the recent signal uh, shows, uh, confirms our baseline forecast that they, there will be easing from the spring next year onwards. And property policy, of course, have turned. And that also affirms our view that property activity should um, stabilize soon and rebound from second quarter next year onwards. But maybe we have easing as soon as the weekend. I mean, is it possible that we get a, a cut in the triple R? Yeah, on macro policy, yes, I think the state council already called for using triple R and other uh, monetary uh, policy measures. So on, on the macro policy front, indeed, we could expect we could see a triple R cut. Um, I think compared, though, to the property policy easing and the signaling of an exit plan on COVID policy, uh, the triple R cut may, may not be um, as significant, I think, for activities. But of course, everything helps. Um, we, we could see further monetary and fiscal easing ahead. COVID policy and, and this adherence to strict committing to these lockdowns or snap lockdowns kind of just offsetting the positivity that we'd seen on their own 16-point plan for the property sector, for example. I mean, you've kind of got this thought of trying to help the economy at the same time you're stifling it too. Well, I think on COVID policy, we never expected um, significant easing in the winter months, given that cases are, in, you know, are likely to rise and we are seeing that uh, increasing, but the getting rid of the uh, quarantine of uh, secondary, you know, close contact is very important to prevent shutting down more areas and quarantine more people. And most importantly, I think the COVID policy announcement was about getting people uh, to increase vaccination, um, increasing booster shot, preparing drugs and hospital facilities. I think it's very clear that the government has an exit plan. 
But in the winter months, I think they're not ready um, and cases are rising. So the implementation of current re- restrictions will still be relatively tight. Yeah. Uh, but I think the most important thing is the end is in sight. Well, the COVID story really is the, the dominant theme here. I mean, we can talk about the property market and whether or not you're expecting stability going forward, given the fact that after the party Congress, some initiatives, a plan at least, uh, was rolled out. I'm wondering whether or not there are going to be persistent credit worries away from property for some time, given the economic weakness that we're describing. Well, I think in the economy, the biggest, uh, you know, credit risk uh, is related to the to the property. The government had been easing throughout this year. It was not sufficient. So the 16 point uh, announcement was really a turning point in our view in their attitude towards the property developers. And it has uh, been a very comprehensive approach, including, you know, extending loans, more loans, more bond issuance, trust products and easing of the pre-sales proceeds. So I think that will help significantly delivering funding to developers and hence reduce the credit risk and therefore also the spillover effect into the rest of the economy. Um, For the rest of the economy, I think some SMEs obviously um, have been suffering, but they're they usually don't get a, a lot of loans, and they're, you know, the bank's exposure to SMEs uh, in terms of size is relatively small. So I think the turning uh, point on, on property policy easing is very significant. Yeah, you've done a bit of research into this. So just tell us a little bit more about the, the impact of the, the role that banks are going to play in supporting the property sector, because you're saying some of the large SOE banks could be, could be laggards here. Uh, so the large SOE banks has been told um, by the regulators uh, again this weekend, right, to increase lending. Um, they have been reluctant um, to lend to the developers given the risks associated with, with the property sector. But now I think uh, the regulators are telling them that, that they uh, should extend the loans, they're expiring, and their loan classification would not be changed. They should lend to these ongoing projects or suspended projects that need funding to continue construction. And then should there be MPOs rising from it, credit officers would not be held responsible for lack of due diligence. So giving them a lot of leeway um, and also uh, basically uh, telling them that the loan concentration ratio, which was another limit imposed on banks in 2020, that will be extended until further notice as well. So they are telling banks to basically support uh, the property sector. I think that's um, that's going to be quite helpful. Of course, that means banks are doing national service to some extent. But I think if they didn't, um, the negative impact of a deeper property downturn on their balance sheet would be even worse. Tao Wang, uh, thank you so much for being with us. Tao Wang is uh, head of Asia Economics, also chief China economist at UBS Investment Bank, joining us uh, from right outside uh, Princeton, New Jersey here on uh, Daybreak Asia. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.